Well, good morning. Thank you for coming. Thought we'd spice things up a little bit. Asked uh, Terry to join me this morning on stage. Um, you're in for a real treat. We prepared uh, a skit. <laughs> I have to apologize because um, we didn't spend a lot of time rehearsing. Uh, first hour is actually technically dress rehearsal. Quite frankly, somebody could have practiced her lines a little bit better before she showed up. <laughs> Thank you, dear. <laughs> but this is a skit. Uh, Larry David wrote something about 20 years ago uh, that had an impact on me. He's not a Christian, but uh, it's kind of a commentary on Christianity. He has a lot to say about uh, us Christians. And when I saw it, it just kind of sparked in me one question that I want to bring before us today is, do we care? Yeah? Do we care for the lost? So, to set this up, I'm a Christian. Terry's not a Christian. We've been dating uh, a little bit. That's it, right? Okay, that's it. So, George, how long have we been dating? What's that? Where do you want to eat? Seriously, how long have we been together? Uh, it feels like an Arby's night to me. Arby's, beef and cheese, great. Come on, how long? Uh, you know, about six months. Six months. Is that all you have to say? Uh, no. Six wonderful months. <laughs> You're beautiful. Well, six months is a long time, you know, going to movies, eating out, going for hikes, all the stuff we do together. Uh, what's your point? Well, I noticed you had a Jesus fish on your car, and I didn't know what that meant, so I Googled it. So, you're a Christian? That's right. And in all this time, you never mentioned it? It never came up. Oh. So you're pretty religious? That's right. Church on Sunday, Christian music, the works. I even go to church sometimes on Wednesday nights. So is it a problem that I'm not really religious? No, it's no problem at all. Not for me. Why not? I'm not the one going to hell. That's right. You guys didn't pay anything to get in here. Yeah. Do we care? Do we believe what we say we believe? We just came out of the resurrection. We just came out of Easter. We just came out of the weekend, the Good Friday, the cross. We talked about that. We talked about the significance of that. Is that more than just a time during the year? Or does that really translate? Does it really kind of get in the rest of our lives during the week? Are we going to carry that every day? Is the cross going to be before us every day? Is the resurrection and the power going to be before us every day? What does it really mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to be living in Christ? What makes someone spiritual? I think the best argument for Christianity are Christians. When we're joy-filled, when we're compassionate, when we're out there serving, when we're humble, when we have just these pure hearts that overflow with God's love for others, when we're in right relationship with Him and the people see His love reflected in us, that's the best argument. What do you guys think the best argument against Christianity is? It's Christians as well. When they're somber, joyless, self-righteous, smug, narrow, repressive, 
no concern for the lost. They do not reflect Christ at all. I think Christianity dies again and again. There's a verse that I love, John 3.16. That's the verse for me, and we're going to put this in context this morning. We're going to look at chapter 3 in the Gospel of John, and I'm going to ask you to stand as we read the Word of God. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish, Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with them. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born again when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except for the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, they gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for the truth of your word. pray that you speak to us this morning. We love you in your name. Amen. You may be seated. I think this passage in John chapter 3 sums up a lot of things about how we should be living, about what we should be saying, be the message. And for me, this passage has always kind of poised one question in my life set up. Shouldn't I be doing something? Shouldn't I be saying something? Shouldn't we be doing something? It seems pretty clear from Jesus' teachings that his mandate should be our mandate. We are to seek and save that which is lost. But there are certain words, phrases, I think that are guaranteed to make some people feel uncomfortable. For those of you that are students here this morning, as you start to approach the end of the semester, you're thinking presentations, you're thinking finals, and you just kind of cringe inside. For those of us that paid our taxes last month, taxes, yeah? Or even worse, you didn't pay, so you get audited, yeah? Root canal, going to the dentist, that's bad news, right? They just make us cringe inside. As I was preparing this sermon, one of the words that came to my mind was outhouse, Yeah? Outhouse and minus 40 degree weather. And I was preparing, I just thought, you know what? Outhouse, in that circumstance, minus 40 degree weather, I became convinced that that was a direct result of the fall. Yeah? 
And I thought I was pretty funny until I wrote that and then I came home and discovered that our well was out. Yeah? So I'm not saying anything about anything, but that's what happened. We haven't had water for four days in preparation for uh, this morning. So maybe God's just trying to tell me, you know, George, you really aren't all that funny after all, yeah? We're okay. Just don't give me a hug after. But I think one of the words that we have that causes us to cringe in our Christian worldview is the word evangelism. I think that comes right out of this text. It's a simple truth. If our lives are to reflect John 3, if they're to be something beyond, if they're to be more, we must care about the lost. I think being the message fundamentally permeates all aspects of our lives. I think if you're a believer, the word guilt has negative connotations sometimes. It brings up feelings of guilt, fear, sometimes even inadequacy. You just don't know what to do. I think if you're a seeker, if you're a non-Christian, the same is true. You get reminded of all those times some well-intentioned Christian came and they had their little spiel and they shoved the gospel down your throat. That's how you felt. The word has so many negative connotations that is my goal in this message to stay away from the predictable stereotypes and uncomfortable feelings associated with this word. But I have come to believe that evangelism comes from a genuine desire of this outflowing of love to bless other people by doing good things and sharing good news. From gratitude from the life that God has given us that leads to a willingness to do anything to share that life with other people. Do we care? We must. To me, if that's evangelism, if that's the definition, then I'm all in. It's part of my DNA. And I stand up here and I don't think that evangelism, discipleship, and Christianity are separate. I don't think they're separate words. I think they're the same thing. From the book, Be the Message, Carrie and Chris Shook say this about the church. They say this. They want to talk about God less and walk with Him more. They want to hear about God less and experience Him more. I think those are profound, simple statements. What's at the heart of these observations? I think if I were to make a blanket statement, ask a general question, we might all agree. We might all have the same answer. If I were to ask what you want, I'll ask it right now. What do you want out of life? Remember where you're sitting before you answer. Take a second. You're sitting in church. The correct answer in church is always Jesus. Good job. That's true for me. I want more of Jesus. I want to experience him more. I want to be filled with the Spirit more. That's too easy, right? It's a simple truth. It's a profound truth. Give it all to Jesus. Get more of him. That's it. Okay? Let's stand for the benediction. It's simple, but for me, there's another truth. Sometimes there's a disconnect. I don't always experience the fullness of Jesus or the spirit that he promised. Here's where I think the disconnect is. Jesus says, in John, I'm going to send you the comforter. But why do we need a comforter when we're very comfortable? You may be thinking, I don't really sense God's presence. I don't really sense Jesus. Jesus says, I'll be with you always. 
You may say, well, I don't really feel Jesus here. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, as we go out making disciples, as we go out baptizing people, as we go out teaching them how to obey everything God commanded, Jesus will be with us even to the end of the age. Let's put it in context. If we all want to experience Jesus and the Comforter, we have to remember why the Holy Spirit, why the Comforter was sent. Acts 1.8 You will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. If you have never really experienced the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, ask yourself, am I out there making disciples? Am I out there being his witness? Luke 12, verse 11, says something very similar. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. It's going to happen. If you're out there vocalizing your faith, if you're out there being a witness, you are going to get into situations where you don't know what to say or to do. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. I'll be there. I'll be with you. I think there's a biblical principle at work here. But before we get that, I'm going to talk about something that I think is another truth that I can claim. Because I stand up here before you, and I can honestly tell you I am selfish to my core. I'm going to posit that we can do evangelism and we can do discipleship for very selfish reasons. I'm going to do discipleship and evangelism not because I care about you or your eternal soul, but because I want Jesus to show up in my life. I want more of him. How's that? You can do discipleship, evangelism. Put yourself in uncomfortable situations, not because you care about people, but because you're selfish, you're inward-focused, you want Jesus. How's that? Probably not going to hear that too many places on a Sunday morning. And if you quote me, I'll deny it, okay? <laughs> Relax. We're going to get to the part about caring for others shortly, okay? But I say it like this to make a point, to make the truth very, very obvious. Every great experience in my life, every time that Jesus showed up and did something awesome, and I was, had the privilege to be a part of it, every single time at the beginning, I was scared. I thought of many reasons to back out, but I stepped out in faith, and the Comforter showed up and blessed my soul greatly. I've had the privilege to serve in Mongolia, and I've had the privilege to see Mongolians who have never read the Word of God open that book for the first time and see the truth in there. And when I've seen their faces, and I've seen the joy in their faces, I've seen Jesus. I've had the honor of telling many Mongolian children about Jesus and about how much Jesus loves them. And when I tell them about his great love for them, something always happens. They always smile. And when I see the smile of a little Mongolian child, I always see Jesus. At the beginning, setting up the opportunities to share... Always, every time, I was scared. I was beyond myself. I had great doubts. But I'll tell you this morning, I do not think faith 
is the absence of doubt. Faith is asking God for boldness and humility. Two adjectives that seem opposed, but when you combine them with Jesus' power, when you combine boldness and humility, they turn into this greater adjective that has no earthly name. But it's in that place where I step out of my inward-focused story and into God's larger, perfect, redemptive story. It's in that place Jesus has always shown up. I want more of Jesus. You want to know the secret? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's simple. We can all do it. We can all love God more. We can give him more. And we can all love our neighbor more. That's part of the heart thing, I think. Looking for more of myself to give to God and others. That's it. How's that? We done now? Should we stand for the benediction now? We're just getting warmed up. It's simple, but it's also very complicated, I think, because we're human. I know I've been there, and I have said, I can't. I've said those words. God, I can't. And there have been many, many reasons, and I know there are many reasons for you here sitting today. People will say, I'm not trained. I'm not articulate about my faith. I don't have the resources. I don't know where to begin. I don't know how to start. But it's more simple than we think. And... It's not optional. It's why you were made. We must care. And if you don't do it, I don't care how much validation you get from the rest of the world about how successful you are or how much money you've made or how high up you climbed or any of the world things, the measures that they have for success. If you're not doing this, you're missing something. You've missed the reason why you were put on this planet. You can do this. You can do it anywhere. There's a danger in church. We come to a comfortable place from a comfortable life and we expect the Holy Spirit to show up. And I'm not saying the Holy Spirit doesn't show up. Totally does. But we expect that this morning on our worship when we come in, we expect it to be the sole thing that translates into a Spirit-filled life tomorrow and the next day and the months and the weeks and the years that follow. You can come on Sunday morning and the worship will be great and it'll lead you into that place where the Holy Spirit and Jesus meets you. What about tomorrow? You can hear all the great sermons in the world and ultimately those sermons will not translate into the rest of your life. Want to be closer to Jesus? Want to live where you're moving, your very being is in sync with Jesus and you feel him all the time? Do something that totally scares you where you have no choice but to rely on God because you're so far out there, so far beyond your comfort zone, in completely over your head, you have no choice but to pray, God, I can't do it. I can't do this. I need you. This is yours. I'm scared. Make me bold. Make me humble. You do this, and guess what? The comforter will come. I can't do this, God, but you can. He will come. One more thing about our motivation. We truly do love people. If you know what Christ did for you, then you can't help but pour that out to others. That's the greatest commandment. That's ultimately our motivation. Maybe we've mastered the message. I know exactly what words to say within these church walls. 
I've got all the jargon down. But does that translate into the rest of my life? Maybe we're not as smart as we think. Maybe we haven't mastered life. Maybe we should be in more situations where we aren't quite sure what to say. Are we masters of words but not actions? Do we care? I think there are two strategies for being the message. I think that's first, being excellent, being excellent, and then I think second, being intentional. I think they go hand in hand. First, we're, be, we're to be better than everybody else. We're to be more honest, more full of integrity. Whatever our field of practice is, we're to excel in it. We're to shine so that the world sees us doing something reflecting Christ. And then secondly, I think we're to put ourselves intentionally in places where we know we will have the opportunity to share. I think the first thing that we see from Jesus in John chapter 3 is in the first couple of verses, actually in verse 2, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform miraculous signs. You are doing of God. We're not with him. Let our actions speak first. Jesus had a reputation. He already had this credibility. I know it says he's doing miraculous signs, but I think there's also something about the way that he was doing them. Jesus had credibility because of his previous service actions. And we put John 3 in the larger context of John, and we put John in the larger context of the Gospels. It was the compassion, the kindness, the beauty of those acts, as well as the acts themselves. This was well known. Everybody knew it about Jesus. There was something about the signs and wonders Jesus performed, but there was also something about the way he performed them that prompted Nicodemus to want to know more. There's something we often overlook. Jesus had encounters with seekers. He had encounters with the lost. There are 31 recorded one-on-one encounters with the lost. 23 of those uh, encounters, that's two-thirds, right? 23 of those encounters are Jesus doing something for them, healing or casting out demons. He offers help, and then after that, he seems to ask for nothing in return. And John 20, 30 tells us why Jesus did miracles. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The miracles were signs to bring seekers to the point where they would believe in his name. His acts of love draw them to his name. So that prompts a question for you and I this morning. Is there something about your life? Is there something about my life and the way that we're living, the things that we're doing that are drawing people to the name of Jesus? Are drawing them in and they want to know more and they're asking, what's going on? Do people who know you or know me say to themselves, I know that person walks with Jesus because no one has treated me with such kindness before. No one has accepted me or cared for me or served like that before. The thing that will stop people dead in their tracks, that will make them wonder why, is an unexpected, undeserved act of kindness. Let's take it further. From John 3, 
and we look at what Jesus is really talking about, we're not called to be comfortable. We're called to be dangerous. I truly believe that's our calling. You want to know a secret about me? If I tell you something, do you promise you won't tell anybody else? There are a lot of mornings I wake up and I really don't feel like being a Christian that day. I wake up feeling selfish. I wake up feeling inward focused. And I'll tell you the truth. I think this is just something about life. If I wait for that emotion, if I wait for that feel good, whatever it is, I will never get out of bed and do something for Christ. I just won't. To me, I have to be intentional. I have to be deliberate. I have to step out in that action. I have to step out in the midst of my doubt, in the midst of my resistance, do it anyway. And what I found, that's when the comforter does show up. I know the paradigm. I know how it works. I step out, Holy Spirit comes, and then I get the emotion. For me, that's just the way it works. If I wait for the emotion to motivate me, I will never go. I have too many excuses. I have too many reasons. Because there is a truth. I would almost rather do anything than tell a stranger or an acquaintance about Jesus. It's uncomfortable. I think especially when today's people are so anti-Christian. It's okay as long as you don't push anything, force anything. But you will be ostracized the moment you say, Jesus said there's one way to heaven. You must be willing to follow him, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. We know the way to heaven. We believe that they are to be destined apart from God forever, but we don't say anything. Why? Maybe we're afraid. I think there are reasons why we're afraid. We don't know how. It seems too big. I've struggled with this for years. I think the key is first excellence in our lives. We need to show people practically by our actions what it means to be born again in John 3. Because the phrase born again is beautiful. It has deep and rich meaning. But I think the world, when they look in on our Christian bubble and see born again, it's used to describe American churchgoers whose lives are indistinguishable from the world, who sin as much as the world, who sacrifice for others as little as the world, who embrace injustice as readily as the world, and who covet things as greedily as the world. We must reclaim the biblical term born again in a way Jesus intended it. To be born again implies life. So how do we be the message? How do we do what Jesus would do and say it in a way that Jesus would say it? John 3. We see Nicodemus has come because he sees something more in Jesus. He wants to know what that is. And the first thing that we've learned is serve. That leads us to the second thing we learn about Jesus. When I look at this passage, I see an honest dialogue. I see Jesus allowing Nicodemus to kind of talk through things. It's not a sales pitch. Jesus is asking questions. He's moving them forward. And you get actually into verse 3. Jesus has a conversation starter to get the dialogue going. He says this, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Not always is sharing our faith about delivering a speech or making a sales pitch. It's about entering into dialogue with people about getting into their lives, finding out their needs, serving them, but also getting into honest conversations with them. And I think a lot of times it's as much about listening 
as talking. I think this is awesome. I find it difficult sometimes to share my faith in personal settings, but I can listen and I can ask questions all day long. It's a conversation. I can ask questions with people, what's your religious background? What do you think about the church? What do you think about Jesus? To you, what is really important in this life? People are much more interested in these conversations than you might think because it gives them a chance to respond. They want to talk. That's what we see Jesus doing here in this text. Sharing our faith the way Jesus would share it means letting our actions speak first, engaging people, letting them ask questions, letting them talk through their faith, but sooner or later we want to get to the message. We want to share the good news. We want to share the gospel. John 3.16. It expresses the essence of what Jesus would say to anyone who's asking questions of meaning. It is perhaps the most loved verse in the Bible, most famous. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the gospel. Let's quickly break this down. What is the gospel? For God so loved the world. Never underestimate the power of those words. Those words would have caught Nicodemus completely by surprise. I think in our culture, people truly don't know that God loves them. They loves everybody. Many people have no idea that God loves them. Or if they do, they don't know what that means or what it looks like. And that is why it's so important for words and deeds to go together. Many people will not be able to experience God's love until they have experienced it from another person. Someone who accepts them, cares for them, helps them, or does something good for them. That's why words and deeds go together. Show them that God loves them by serving them. Tell them that God loves them. For God so loved the world, they gave his one and only son. It is wonderful to know that God loves us, but without Jesus, there's still the eternal separation. Jesus died to pay the penalty for sins. Jesus rose to conquer death. There is no gospel without Jesus. And don't make the mistake. You don't have to tell them everything. But tell them something. Tell them one story from Jesus' life. Tell them something Jesus said or did. Tell them what Jesus means to you. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Tell them this. Eternal life just isn't about life after death. It's so much more than that. It's about life that begins today. Tell them that it's life the way it was meant to be lived, a life of meaning and purpose and joy. Then tell them what belief is. People need to know it's not just about good works or showing up to church or knowing all the right answers. It's about saying yes to God's love and his abundant life today. It's inviting Jesus to forgive you of your sins and make you into the person you were meant to be. His beautiful child. Tell them your story. Testimonies are important. Prepare your testimony and share it. That's the best witnessing tool. Then ask them if they're ready. Invite them. These are the things Jesus would say if he were walking among us. He'd say something about love, sacrifice, life, and belief. We are his hands and feet. We love the lost. We love the desperate. We love God. We love to serve. We want to show them God's love. At this point, I'd like to ask my good friend, Brian, to step up. 
and share a little bit of his story. Where do we see Nicodemus last? He's taking down the body of Jesus from the cross. He gets it. He understands the beauty of what it is to be born again. I've asked Brian to come up because Brian has stepped out, I think, in a way that is kind of scary. And I want him to just uh, yeah, share a little bit about what you're doing. So, good morning. Uh, most of you know uh, our story. Uh, but for those of you who don't, um, about 18 years ago, God put in front of us a need, a group of people in a mobile home park uh, who we've grown to love and grown to serve over that time frame. And it's grown to be to the point where now we have moved into that mobile home park um, and we live there full time. And this becomes our life. And now the, the, with the mission to honor God by building a culture of achievement in that uh, mobile home community. Were you scared? So, knowing that he was going to ask this question, I looked into the scriptures to find um, something where I could express how I was feeling when we made some of those calls. So I looked for the uh, Hebrew word on soiling your shorts, (laughs) and uh, I I didn't find it, but I did find um, the word afraid, and I looked that up, and there's um, 163 times in the New American Standard, for example, Um, as how many times you see that. And every story of someone who has stepped out in faith and done something bold for the Lord, you'll you'll see it starting with the word in some way that they were afraid and decided to take that step. So yes, um, we have been afraid. Uh, We have been afraid multiple times over and over again. um, And I continue to be, but yet we also see um, God moving. You stole my question. Has Jesus shown up? He has shown up. So um, how do we know that? So uh, the, the big illustration or analogy that I like to, to cast on this is when I taught my son how to swim, and I go to the edge here, and I, I, and I told him how to dive, I didn't send him up onto the high board and told him to jump off. I put him on the edge of the pool, and I stood out a few feet, and I said, jump to me. And he would come to the edge, and he would kind of stare, and he'd look at me, and he'd look at the edge, and he'd think about it, and he'd remember what did we talk about, and how did it look, and how am I supposed to do this? And, and then he'd come to the edge, and he'd, he'd back off again. Until he came to the edge and decided to actually jump, until he did that, he would have never experienced what it means to actually land in the arms of his father and to trust him. And so I would say, um, did God show up? It's only because we made that leap multiple times. Um, And the first one would be like this couple of foot jump. The next one would be farther and bigger and longer and more significant. When we began doing that, um, that is when we saw God show up. One example would be uh, not too long ago, I was sitting around a campfire or a, a bonfire across the street from a house that I'm in. So it's uh, in another trailer. And uh, we were having a, uh, just a bonfire with neighbors. Most of the folks around that fire were drunk. One of the good things about alcohol is it reduces your inhibitions. And it allows um, folks to share some things that they might not otherwise share. And so they began to share with us, and they said, uh, with this one woman, she looked at me, and she was just intently talking, talking to me, and she said, um, I know you guys are godly people, and so I need to know, am I worthy? Can God love a woman like me? 
because her life is not in good shape. Um, and that was that opportunity where when you talk about evangelism, it wasn't about me sitting down and, and giving her a track or talking through the four spiritual laws. It was an opportunity for me to turn in, a, in a, just a life-to-life situation and say, you don't need to clean yourself up in order for God to love you. Jesus loves you as you are. And, uh, and reinforce that message. That's evangelism, um, and that's how we live it. Uh, so. Right on, Mike. Thank you. There's just this adventure. Everybody's on this road. Everybody's on this adventure, and God wants you to be part of it. I'm telling you, there's nothing like being part of someone's spiritual journey. It's a privilege. It's an honor. We want to be a church where this is happening all the time, and I'm going to ask you this week, will you pray for at least one person to come into this life, this life abundant, and know Jesus Christ? And then will you pray for the honor and the privilege of just being part of it. Find an area in your life. Give more of yourself. Find someone and pray to be bold, pray to be humble, and then tell someone, okay? What just happened? Tell them. It's no longer words. Email me. Let me know what happened because part of this, we want to be together as a church. We want to do this together. I want to be praying for you. want to celebrate. want to empower each other. Email somebody here on staff. Do it this next week. Tell us our story. As we get into the series, let's not let Sunday be a bunch of words only. I think the point of this series is during the week that we live intentionally, words become actions. We become the message. Thank you very much.